0: I want to pick up the Christmas story as the wise men have been following the star for months, several months, F-O-R, not F-O-U-R, four months they've been following. As it kept moving, they kept following, and then suddenly it stopped, and I want to pick this up in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10, and it says, when they saw the star, they were what? Overjoyed. Overjoyed. Um, they had so much joy that it spilled out. I like the NIV translation here. It, it's like, how, when's the last time you were overjoyed? If, if, you're, if the joy factor in your life could be measured with this measuring cup, how much would be in there? There's two cups here. To be overjoyed would mean that you would have to have more than two cups worth in your life because it would just be spilling out. When you come to worship, does it, are you overjoyed at the baby in the manger or the, the Savior on the cross or the empty tomb? That should be normal in the Christian life. Too often, though, Nobody can see any joy in us. Right? We should be overjoyed like these wise men. Look what it says in verse 11. They entered the house. They entered the what? Remember that. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, talking about Jesus, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, usually we pick you're the wise men kneeling down at the manger scene, right? Why do we do that? Because every Christmas card you've ever seen shows the wise men there. Every every movie, everything depicts them there. But they weren't there on the night Jesus was born. The shepherds were, because they were out in the fields in Bethlehem. But the wise men traveled over 900 miles to get there. You don't do that overnight. You don't do that on the same night. They saw the star, they began to follow. Now if you've whole story, you know, that the wise men are following the star, they get to the, the Jerusalem, and they go to King Herod, and they say, hey, we've come to worship the one that's born king of the Jews, and the Bible says that Herod was troubled in his spirit and all the people with him. The reason all of Jerusalem was troubled was because Herod killed people if he thought they were after his crown. They're like, oh, no, somebody else is going to die, and that's what happens, but Herod tells the wise men, he goes, hey, y'all go find him, and when you find him, come report to me where he is so that I can worship him, too. Herod's a big, fat liar. Herod wanted to kill him. We know that, and he's going to tell us that in just a minute. Because the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, so they go a different way. And then look what happens in verse 16. Herod was furious. Herod, the one who only worshipped Herod, was furious because they didn't report this person that they came to worship because it wasn't Herod. Herod was furious when, they realized, when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the, first, of the star's first appearance. Two years it probably took the wise men or the stargazers to get to Bethlehem. And it says they entered the house because they were no longer in the stable. Now I want you to think about this. How many of you have a two-year-old or you've been around a two-year-old or you remember when your kids were two years old? There's a reason we call it the terrible twos, right? The reputation is well-deserved. Does being around a two-year-old inspire you to worship them? Because that's what the Bible says. They bowed down to a two-year-old to worship him. Now, Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's as if we worship them We give them gifts, but not really out of worship. It's to shut them up out of desperation, right? Here, please, shut up. Stick this in your mouth. One comedian, and I don't even remember the comedian. I wrote this down years ago. One comedian said that two-year-olds are like tiny, crazy crackheads. Go ahead and put that picture up there. I mean, this is a random two-year-old. I don't know who this is. Because he said their clothes are jacked up, stuff all over them. They got no teeth. They look drunk all the time. My one-year-old grandson, he's walking around, you know, like that. You see them throw something at, when they're two. You see them throw something at, your sis, at their sister. You see them throw something at their sister. Did you throw that at your sister? They lie to you. They're tiny crazy crackheads. All of this to say, this is another miracle of the Christmas story. That the stargazers, the wise men, are bowing down to a two-year-old to worship him. They knelt down before. Do, do you understand? They knelt down before a two-year-old and gave him gifts, treasures. Now we don't understand this kneeling. You can go off of that because we may never. We may, I didn't. I'm sorry. I didn't give you a blank slide to go after that. Uh, well, actually, we, I'm to the next part. See, we don't understand kneeling in our society, right? Guys, you kneel twice that I can think of. Once is your football picture, and again, this is just a random football picture. Right? You got a football and you kneel. When's the other time, guys, kneel? When you propose, right? This is random. We were at this, this big um, enchant, is what it's called, outside of Rangers uh, Baseball Stadium. And, and we're at this massive Christmas tree. And it, it's billed as the world's largest Christmas light maze. And it was fantastic. If you get a chance to go this year or next year, go to it. It was fantastic. We're standing there looking at this big honking Christmas tree of lights. And all of a sudden, Richard goes, that dude's proposing. I mean, he's like right here. He gets down on one knee, and and people are going, ah. And then he proposes, and she goes, yes. And Rachel goes, is there anything more awkward than standing here after she says yes? Because you're like, "Uh, yeah, I guess it's good. We don't know, y'all. Maybe she should say no. I don't know. But you kneel, right? Girls, I don't know when you kneel. The only thing I've seen is, you know, when girls are taking pictures, the front row, they do this. I mean, what is that? It looks, it looks so uncomfortable, and it's not like it helps. I mean, sit down or kneel. Kneel! There you go. Don't do this trash, because y'all see it. Y'all are laughing, because you know some of you have done it. I don't, I don't ever want to do that. The point is, we don't understand kneeling. We're not in the habit of kneeling. But when you study God's word, you find out everybody in the Old Testament knelt to someone who was a greater authority. Kings, representatives of countries, and you better believe they bowed and knelt before God because he was greater than them. That's why the, the psalmist in Psalm 95, six, and, 6 through 8, can say these words, and that culture understood them. Come, let us worship and what? Bow down. We'll come back to that in just a second. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. Now, here's the thing. In our culture, too many people think worship is about them. That is not scriptural. Worship in scripture is about one who's greater than you. And so when, if you ever come and say, if you ever say, I didn't get anything out of worship, that's okay because worship wasn't for you. Worship, true worship is when I come and I say, God, I'm here because you died for me. I bow in humility before God. That's the heart of worship. And if you didn't get anything out of worship, look at your own heart. Don't look at the people on the stage. And I don't care which church you're in. Because if your heart is right and you're humbled before God, you will get something out of it. God will make sure that you receive something from him if your your heart posture is right. Now I'm not just talking about kneeling just for the sake of kneeling. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an attitude of worship. He says, come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker for he is God. We are the people he watches over the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today, look at this. The Lord says, do not harden your hearts. Hardening your heart is the opposite of worship. If you come busting in here and say, God, you owe me, step back, everybody else. Something bad about to happen. And it's not because God wants to chastise you, but it's because God will not give you his glory. He does not share his glory. There is one God. And when you come in and you demand something from God, you don't understand who he is and you should be very afraid at that point. The Lord says, don't harden your hearts as Israel did at Meribah, as they did at Masa in the wilderness. When they came out of Egypt, God delivered them from being slaves in Egypt. There were two times that they got to a point and they said, why did you bring us out here? They start yelling at Moses. Moses goes to God and said, God, why did you call me to lead them out? Because now they're going to kill me. And God said, the first time he says, take your staff, go strike a rock. Water's going to come out of the rock. Second time he says, go and speak to the rock. Water's going to come out of the rock. He hit the rock. Anyway, he says, he says, don't harden your hearts like the Israelites did when I almost destroyed them. There's a warning. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Now, you need to understand this. You either humble yourselves or you will be humbled. Either way, humility is in your future. Either you humble yourselves before God or God will humble you. Now, the Hebrew word that's translated as, as worship is the word shachah. Not to be mistaken for shaka Khan. That's in the 80s. I actually was going to put it on, but you know, I, never mind. How many of you even know what I'm talking about? Shaka Khan? All right. Shaka. It's not even shaka, it's shaka. I can't even say it right. The word is used, shaka, is used 170 times in scripture, and it does not mean worship like we think it means worship. Every time it's used, it's talking about bowing, kneeling, prostrating yourself before one who is greater. 170 times in scripture, we're told we need to kneel before God. Now, in the Old Testament, probably the person who knew God the best was, was Moses. Um, and Moses said to God at one point, I want to see your glory. Let me see your glory. Look what God says in Exodus thirty-three nineteen and 20. God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will call out my name Yahweh before you for I will show mercy to anyone I choose. I will show compassion to anyone I choose but you may not look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. You see, in the Old Testament, if a person saw God, they would die. Let me give you an example of that. Um, they worshiped at a place called the tabernacle. It was a tent. It was a temporary worship place. So basically think of a, a tent, probably almost as long as our building, and it had different sections in it, and they would set it up, and the glory of God would, would come, and they would camp around it. Go ahead and put that first picture up there, Bobby. Now, these, these um, camps around, you see all those squares, that's actually the tribes. There were 12 tribes of Israelites, and, and the, the uh, tabernacle would be right there in the center, And then the priests, Moses and and Aaron and all the priests would be right around it and they would would camp around it. Now we don't know if it was actually this um, setup or go to the next one, Bobby, or this one. We don't know exactly how they did it. What we do know is that the tabernacle was in the center. See that cloud that represents the glory of God that would come down to the tabernacle in a place called the Holy of Holies. Go to the next one. Now you see the Holy of Holies. Now it, th- there's a curtain there and you see, you see that white smoke or whatever. That's the Ark of the Covenant and the Bible says that the glory of God would dwell there and, and it's peeled back so that the curtain is actually cut. You see where I'm talking about? So it was, a, it was a heavy curtain that came all the way across and it would separate the Holy of Holies from the rest of the tabernacle and then there's other sections out front. So you could, there was a place where the Gentiles, somebody who didn't know God could come. There's a place where a regular Jew could come. There's a place where priests could come and then the holy of holies. One man could come in there on, and he was the high priest. The only time he could come in there don't don't do that yet. The only time he could come in there is the day of atonement. Now let me let me tell you this: this curtain it was so heavy that that um, that scientists have said that that a team of horses could not rip it apart. All right, you tie them up on both sides, you could not pull it apart. This curtain is what, on the day that Jesus Christ died, when it says the veil, the curtain in the temple, was torn in two. It was torn in two to represent, Jesus said, it is finished, what is finished. He became the sacrifice for our sins. And when he became our sacrifice, the veil was torn in two because this was the time, the Day of Atonement, go ahead and put that up there, the Day of Atonement happened once a year, and only the priests could go in there. The, the Jews in Hebrew is called Yom Kippur, Go ahead and do that next slide. Yom Kippur. It was the most holy day in the whole calendar. And it was the day that sacrifices of, sin, uh, of animals were made for the sins of the people. The, the high priest had to do certain things. He had to, he had to wash a certain way. He had, to, he had to sacrifice animals for himself. He had to sacrifice animals for the people. And then when he'd done everything right, he could go into... Go ahead and go back to that. No, the, the Holy of Holies. Sorry. He could go into the Holy of Holies if he'd done everything right. If he didn't, he would die. If anybody other than the high priest went in there, they would die because you do not come into the presence of God in an inappropriate way. Now, the Day of Atonement, there you go, go to the next slide. I'm I'm messing Bobby up. Go ahead, keep going. There we go. Here's what it means to ransom or redeem someone by offering a substitute. The only way a person in the Old Testament could appear before God is if an innocent third party shed its blood because blood is going to be shed. Life for life. I want to show you a couple of verses. Well, the lifeblood of the animal was required in exchange for the lifeblood of the worshiper. If you wanted to, to see God or go into his presence, something had to die. Either you died and paid the price for your sins or a substitute had to die let me show you where this comes from leviticus seventeen eleven. for the life of a creature is in the blood and i've given it to you to make atonement there's that word day of atonement to make atonement for yourselves on the altar it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life you understand a substitute if you're going to come into god's presence somebody has to die you have to die or a substitute has to die this was the sacrificial system in the old testament Hebrews 9.22, as Moses' teaching tells us, blood was used to cleanse almost everything because if no blood is shed, no sins can be forgiven. Someone has to pay for your sins. The Bible says all have sinned, so we are unholy because we have sinned. The only way a holy God can look on something unholy is if a substitute's blood has been given. That's just the way it is. When you realize just how powerful, just how magnificent God is, how holy he is, how righteous he is, Suddenly, bowing down to worship him seems very appropriate. Now, God tells us not to bow down to other things. God created us. He knows we're going to worship something. He says, don't bow down to false idols. Don't bow down to money. Don't bow down to power, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever. He says, don't bow down to those things. He says, only bow down to me. He knows you're going to bow to something. So let me tell you three times when you need to bow before God. First one, times you should bow is when you need direction. When you need direction. I'm going to show you uh, a rich young ruler comes to Jesus. and want you to see what he does in Mark 10, 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and did what? No. Fell on his knees before him. Literally. Have you noticed that people use literally, literally incorrectly all the time? I mean, I see stuff, they say, laughing my butt off. Literally. I'm going, literally you should be in a hospital. I don't want to see it, but I kind of want to see that, If, if literally. This man literally fell on his knees before God, before Jesus. He says, good teacher, he asked, what much must I do to inherit eternal life? A few years ago, I first noticed this man's posture. This guy was not a follower of God. He was not a follower of Jesus, but he recognized this man was a teacher and maybe he has some answers. And so as a sign of respect for him, he runs up, literally falls on his knees and says, teacher, what should I do? Give me direction, I've got some questions for you. Knowing knowing that he had everything everybody else wants because he was rich, but knowing he had questions, he didn't care what everybody else thought, he ran up, literally fell on his knees and he said, Jesus, would you give me some answers? That's a great place to start. Some of you are not committed followers of God. Some of you aren't even sure you believe in God. God is not your boss, you don't even know if God exists. And where does Jesus fit into this? If you don't believe God exists, where's the Jesus thing? I wanna challenge you, no matter where you are today, to fall on your knees before God, and say, I've got some questions for you. You could be a Christ follower, Christ followers still have questions. You could be a doubter, or you could be an atheist. Because what have you got to lose? If he's not real, so you bow down. If he is real, you bow down to him and he, and he invades your life. You've got everything to gain. Just in case. Why don't you say, God, God if you're real, please show me. And if you pray that prayer today, watch out because the Bible says if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. You need to get ready. You might be like the rich young ruler. I've got questions. I just need to bow. Now, some of you are already Christ followers and you don't need this direction thing I'm talking about. There's another time you need to bow and it's when you need to repent. Repent. Repent means to change your mind so that you can change your actions. Because you don't do anything until your mind decides it, right? You don't exercise until you say, man, i got to do something about this. You don't save money until you decide you're going to save money. You don't, you don't pursue a relationship with somebody until you make a decision. It has to start in your mind and then the actions follow. Repent means I change my mind about who God is and I realize I need to, I, I've done something wrong in his presence and I need to come back to him. You see, even Christ followers do things wrong. We do it wrong all the time. And if you haven't noticed, Christmas is kind of like a magnifying glass. It magnifies the problems you have. If life is good, Thatcher this morning said, man, my life is good. And so I I thank God for that. Thatcher's life is perfect. And, and, And it is. He just had a baby girl and I've seen pictures and he said, man, my life is good. Christmas magnifies that, right? But if your life is going bad, Christmas magnifies that too because if you, you have to go hang out with family that, that you, you, you did something to or they did something to you. Oh, I, I, had an, I had an example, but I can't share it. I don't have permission. But you just think about when you've gone to family get togethers and you're like, oh, dear Lord. It's just a matter of time. You know, you know there's, there's fuses everywhere and one of them's going to be lit. <laughs> <laughs> Happens all the time. Luke 5 gives us an example of somebody who bowed in repentance. Um, Peter was a fisherman, and, and Peter had fished all night, didn't catch a thing. And they were washing and mending their nets. They didn't have you know, they didn't fish with rods and reels like we do. They had nets they threw out there. And so after they would throw them in the water, they would get dirty and they'd have to mend them and fix them. And so they're doing that and Jesus comes up and Jesus starts teaching and a crowd gathers around Jesus. The crowd is so great, they press up against him that Jesus gets into a boat, comes out a little bit and teaches them. It's kind of like an amphitheater there and he's teaching them, teaching, teaching, teaching. He finishes and he says, Peter, let's go out in a little bit deeper water. And I want you to throw down your net. Now, if you're, if you're Peter, you're a professional fisherman. It's what you do to pay the bills. And a carpenter tells you, hey, l- let me show you where to fish. If I'm, if I'm Peter, I'm like, why don't you build a table or something? Let, leave the fishing to me. Yeah. I talk real bold when I'm not in the boat with Jesus. Right? I mean, but, but think about that. I'm a fisherman. Guys do this, right? Your wife says, hey, why don't you try this? And you're like. Anyway, look what happens. Luke 5, 5 through 8. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he did what? Fell to his knees before Jesus. And said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am too much of a sinner to be around you. That's the idea of repentance. Grudgingly, Peter does what he's what he's told to do. And when he gets an unexpected result, he he looks at Jesus and goes, Oh, I did not realize who you were. I'm a sinner. And I I cannot be in in your presence. That's an attitude of repentance. Now, I want you to know that Jesus never turns away someone who repents. Anyone who comes to Jesus and says I've messed up, Jesus wraps his arms around him. Now I know religion's gotten a bad bad rap, and well, actually sometimes it's legit where we judge other people. But but Jesus, the one who has the right to judge us, if you come and you say I messed up, he wraps his arms around you, and he says Welcome. I don't care who you are or what you've done or how recently you've done it. You need to be in the presence of God. And, and again, I said some of you are surprised you're here. You think, you know, if I show up at church, hell may freeze over or, you know, doors, the church may fall in. Um, because we, we get this idea, Satan plants this idea in our minds. If I go to church, someone's going to look at me and they're going to start whispering. Well, let me just tell you this. If someone's looking at you during church and talking about you during church, they're in sin and they don't understand worship. Because when I'm looking at my Savior, when we're singing, there is no other name like Jesus. I'm not looking at you. And and honestly, I I never even think about your past. And I know a lot of your pasts. I don't think about that because I see you as my brothers and sisters in Christ. I see you like God wants you to become. And when you're on that pathway to becoming, I'm cheering you on. That's what church is supposed to be. If someone is whispering about you, you tell me. We're not fitting to have that. That is not scriptural. Peter falls on his knees and repents and he says, Oh, Jesus, depart from me. And Jesus says, it's okay. From now on, you're going to be a fisher of men. You're going to catch men. And, and actually, th- this, is, this is a verse for single ladies, the, the New American Standard. You need to write this down and put it on your refrigerator. Because Jesus said, don't fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. That's just free for single ladies. I'm, I'm sorry. I won't use that anymore. But um, hey, if it helps somebody, praise God. Some of you need to kneel today and say, I've sinned. There is sin in my life, and I don't deserve to be your child. So I hope you'll do that before we finish. Scripture tells us that when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You do not cleanse yourself enough to come into God's presence. You come in dirty, filthy, sin-stained, and you say, God, I've messed up, and his blood washes you clean not your blood. In in that song, Oh Holy Night, it's one of my mom's favorite songs. There's a part that says, fall on your knees. Fall on your knees. So some of you just need to fall on your knees today and say, God, will you forgive me for what I've done? And I'm gonna tell you something, if you do that with the right heart attitude in that moment, the grace of God will wash over you and the peace of God will enter into your heart. And you may wanna stay there for a second just to worship God in freedom that he's paid for. So some of you need to kneel today, physically kneel today because you need direction. Some of you need to kneel in repentance. Others, others of you need to kneel to surrender, maybe for the first time in your life. I've shared this story before, but George did some um, self-defense classes here one time and, and homeboy wanted to show me how he could choke me out in, in just a couple of seconds and dude, it hurt. He got this choke hold on me and I immediately, I'm tapping. And so he said, you can do it. And I said, no, I can't. He goes, yeah, you can. And so I got my arm around George's neck and you know the rear naked choke, which is really weird sounding. But anyway, you put the choke on him and, and I got George and George is tapping. I'm like, yes. He said, see, it's easy. These moves, these these mixed martial arts moves are are designed to make the other person quit. And in in mixed martial arts, they call it tapping out. Well, I've watched a lot of mixed martial arts. I hadn't watched it in a while. I used to watch it all the time. We used to have uh, parties at my house and other people's houses. We'd watch UFC and all that stuff. Well, in my mind, I'm remembering a couple of scenes where guys didn't tap. One time the guy had his arm snapped in two because he refused to tap. And I mean, they showed it in slow motion. They goes snap, and he didn't tap. And, and they're going, man, he's so tough. And I'm going, man, he's so dumb. He got a broken arm. And I've seen guys that refused to tap when they had, when they had the choke on them. Because if you, if you leave it long enough, you will pass out. It's almost comical if you're not that guy. And, and they choke him, and the guy will refuse to tap. And the, and the referee will go over and lift his arm up, and they go, boom. And they're like, he's out. Man, he's so tough, he didn't tap. And I'm going, he's an idiot because he's unconscious. He's dumb. He's not tough. Some of you, God has been pestering you, and you need to tap out. There's something that God has been over and over working on you about, and you're refusing to give up because you want to be in control. So I want you to understand, Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived, tapped out. Let me show you. Luke 22, he's about to be uh, crucified. Verse 41, he says, he, Jesus, walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down. He knelt down. I want you to see all of these different scenes. The person kneels to one in obedience. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Not my will, your will. We've been talking about this for several weeks. Some of you need to pray that prayer today. Not my will, God, but yours be done. I surrender, and, and here's the promise. Kneeling to pray is often what gives you the strength to stand. The reason you're being knocked down over and over is you're not spending enough time kneeling before one who is greater than you are. When you kneel, and, and here's, the, here's the other thing. This is a promise. You can kneel now or you will kneel later. You can kneel now when it's a choice or there will be a day when you'll be forced to kneel. Let me show where, where this comes from. Philippians 2.8. He, Jesus Christ, humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You will either bow now when it's your choice or you will bow another time when it's not your choice. You will either humble yourself or you will be humbled before God. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You're gonna bow The choice is, is it your choice or God's choice for you to bow? I'm going to play a a portion of a video, a song you know. We sing it all the time. And I want you to think about whether you need to come. And and there's nothing magical about the altar. Nothing magical. What happens is when you get before God and either physically bowing or just bowing in your heart, saying to God, you're greater. And whatever you have for my life, is what I want. So this song is, it's Christian Sandfield. we do it as a band, it's My Heart Is Yours. We're gonna play part of this and I'm just gonna open this up. If you wanna bow where you are, if you wanna bow up here, some of you need to bow for the first time in your life and realize that the baby that was born in a manger came because we were separated from God and there's sin in our life and God says, you can't deal with sin on your own. I will send someone to be a substitute for you. Either you will pay the penalty for your sins or Jesus will pay, but somebody's got to pay for you to get into heaven. When you think about that, kneeling doesn't seem like such a bad option, does it? So we're going to play this song. We're not going to play the whole thing, but I just want to give you a few minutes to bow before God and say whatever Your will is. May your will be done, not mine. Go ahead.